Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Teresa Beckhusen. And I actually want to pause here and say that this podcast has had uh, a few patron saints over the years and uh, people who have listened and gone out of their way to promote and uh, talk about the show on social media and to their friends with every given opportunity. And uh, Teresa is absolutely one of those people. And it uh, her support has blown me away uh, ever since uh, she started offering it and I am beyond humbled by the fact that she has now uh, become a patron because she's been doing more than enough so far and I'm so happy that she uh, thought no I can do a little bit more it just fills me with so much joy so thank you Teresa and thank you to everybody who uh, is patrons but also the people who um, just take the time to promote the show on the socials it really really helps a lot and uh, I greatly appreciate it thank you very much and if you want to become a patron you can go to patreon.com slash original cast pod and pledge to this podcast that uh, you are listening to and hopefully love so much and when you do you get our bonus podcast the original cast at the movies which this month uh, features Logan Colwell Block and Caroline Dubberly discussing the glorious train wreck uh, Lost Horizon, the 1973 musical, uh, music by Burt Bacharach, lyrics by Hal David. And uh, in May, we're doing uh, This Is Spinal Tap with uh, Kimberly Cooper Schmidt and uh, Jay Schmidt. And then in June, we will be returning for our continuing series of 2020, covering uh, all four uh, theatrically released versions of Star is Born. We've already done the original, and now we're moving into Judy Garland, 1954, in June. So. It's busting out all over. I'm a dad. Again, patreon.com slash original cast pod. All right, here's the show. Do you know the musical She Loves Me? I, not well. I know okay. like a couple songs out of it and I've been meaning to like, we have like a Broadway HD like trial, like, so I've been meaning to watch the revival, but. Well, watch that and then I will tell you how I think the pity, that uh, Chess and She Loves Me exist in the same universe and I will just leave it at that. Wow. Because it won't make any sense if you haven't seen She Loves Me. You've really incentivized me to watch this show now. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a director. He's been a Drama League fellow. He's been to the Westport Country Playhouse and he's been to the Samuel French Off-Off Broadway Play Festival, which is where I met him. It's Jake Beckhardt, everybody. Hi, gang. How we all doing? There he is. Oh, we're all living, Jake, I think is what is what it is. L-I-V-I-N, as the man says. <laughs> also, I'm a little amped because we're going to talk about... Chess! We're talking about chess. That's what we're talking about. We're, t- we're talking chess, y'all. The best worst musical in Broadway history. What's so funny about <laughs> chess, though, is I feel like it's one of those musicals that, like, there it divides it divides people into two camps. There are, there are people who love chess, and there are people who have no real feelings about chess whatsoever. Uh, it's not like Cats, where there's like two very strong. Op- opposing forces kind of slamming into each other like chess is was one of these musicals that people love and other people 
either haven't heard or, or don't care to hear. Uh, but I have to ask you, since you're the guest, how did chess come into your life? Well, isn't that fascinating that like that that the two sides of it are either you find it sublime, which is obviously the camp that I fall into, mm-hmm. or you find it totally mediocre and forgettable because there's like nothing forgettable about this musical. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and there always hasn't been, but like some folks are, it's, it's so ridiculous on so, and so delightful on so many different levels. But yeah. my first um, experience with it was a high school production of it, which I think is actually one of the better ways to have experienced it because I mean, as I think you talked about the last time that you like discussed this musical's history mm-hmm. um, in production in like colleges and high schools and things like that, they just take an amalgam of all their favorite parts of whatever versions of chess <laughs> they can get their hands on right. and then perform it. So it tends, it ends up being like the best versions of chess because finally we're crowdsourcing the dramaturgy of this insane play. But I saw it at Stonebridge High School, I think, in like my junior year of high school. There's a program in the Washington, D.C. area, which Mm -hmm. I think many of your listeners will be familiar with, called the Cappies Awards, which are the high school Tonys uh, of the National Capital Area. I was a critic and uh, they sent me to see Stonebridge's chess and I'd never heard of it before. Uh, A friend of mine who had transferred there was in it. And I totally lost my mind. I mean, like, I sort of became moderately obsessed with it. And then two years later, I went, I was in college and I went to the library to like, they had like this enormous media library. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get all the CDs and I'm going to get all the MP3s from the, of like music that I like and, and just have it. I'll just take Mm -hmm. it home out of the library, put it on my computer and then like send it back and I'll have beaten the system this way. Not knowing that MP3s themselves would become an obsolete point. And so I got the double album of the um, of the concept album, which I'd never heard like in its entirety before, and then just like found myself listening to it perpetually uh, for years after that. I, I, am to- I totally agree with you. I don't understand how anyone doesn't have an opinion about this show. It, it is just <laughs> a remarkable, fascinating, weird, wild piece of theater, and one that I, I love. Dearly. And also contradictory opinions, like mm-hmm. in, inside the self. Like there are so many, <laughs> there are moments in chess that I think are unforgivable. <laughs> what moments are unforgivable? I, I was I was reminded of this, like doing a re-listen to the Broadway cast recording. When when in, I mean, most of One Night in Bangkok. I, I the Fair. like among, I, maybe that's the thing is that among people who love the musical, the like what the best part is or what the, and what the worst part is and like the difference like that's where the polarization happens maybe mm-hmm. because one night in bangkok yeah. and pity the child are like maybe my two least favorite tracks they're so ridiculous and dumb really and I, get, I get the fun of one night in bangkok and i get the fun of the like single energy of it can't stand pity the child i think it's terrible but really <laughs> but one night in bangkok specifically the line where he goes summer or where the chorus goes in a way that you can barely understand summer set up in the somerset mom suite it's, it is a like little jig on, on the grave of economical lyric writing that <laughs> Tim Rice does. And I think that he should, I think like a, 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 a jury should be convened to figure out exactly how to punish him for it. This is the, the tipping point of Tim Rice to me. This is the moment where he, he, he tipped over the edge, frankly, and like entered his <laughs> Disney career you know, I mean, it was it was probably eight years after this he entered the Disney career, but even so, like he really, 
there's something about his lyric writing with Andrew Lloyd Webber that is tight and pure and concise and smart and really works. And then when he gets out with other composers, it, he kind of goes crazy. I don't know what that is. I don't know why, if he's just allowed to go crazy by these composers. Cause they're like, well, that's Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber's like, yeah, shut up, Tim. Like um, we've known each other forever, but like, it, there are some lyrics in this show. Like as I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Terrace Duet or Mountain Duet, as it's called in the in the London recording, is is some of his best work. Like as a lyricist, it is a in that old music theater Oscar Hammerstein, um, "If I Loved You" kind of way, where the scene and the song just sort of float in and around each other. But then you have yes, lyrics like Somerset. Totally agree. The Somerset Mom Suite, and it's just like. I'm sorry. What? What is that a human th- a thing any human would say ever? <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree about terrace Sweet, or terrace duet. It's yeah. got, and not only is it exquisite in terms of imagery and rhythm, but it also rides the melody so successfully. Mm-hmm. The like the high belt, like it, it is one of the like best earned ones in musical theater, I think. Certainly in musical theater in the last 40 years. What if my Russian friend thinks that my plans have nothing to do with the chess? If I don't say something and soon he'll go Maybe I'm a Now it's funny. We're going to drill into pity and the, pity the child here. I'm going to write that down. But before we do that, um, actually, it's probably worth doing because it's been four years since I've covered this show on uh, this show on this podcast. So we probably need a refresher. Jake, could you? <laughs> this is your challenge. Can you s- create a plot synopsis for chess that would cover any version of chess somebody sees? <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a chess match. No, it's a yeah, good question. It's a it's a musical about loosely based on the World Chess Championship between um between Bobby Fischer and Gary Kasparov that turned into kind of a that was like a a, mo- a major moment for chess because it turned into like part of the East versus West like Cold War proxy war, like culture culture war proxy war. Um, but the musical itself like departs hugely. It's not in any way like a biographical account of any of those characters. It follows the events around this chess match between a famous American chess player and a famous Russian chess player who's playing for the state. Um, and the love affair between that American chess player's second and the Russian chess player. The Russian chess player falls in love with this woman, Florence Vassy, and then defects to uh, the United States um, or to the West. Uh, and, uh, but, but when the consequences of those actions come to light and the forces around them uh, like react to it, 
eventually everything is sort of set back to where it was, um, either tragically or heroically or, you know, in some trajectory that depends on who had a chance to dramaturg the piece. And it is, of course, like a famous flop in, on Broadway. It ran for 68 performances. Um, but it only, which is only truly notable because it ran in London for three years. Mm-hmm. And it is just like, and it's a very different show. It has a very different format. It's kind of bookless. It's kind of, a, it's a sung through thing. And they felt when they brought it to New York, they needed to rework it and they did. And it was just a terrible, uh, it just tanked. And part of that is probably due to um, the timing, the fact that it is, like you know, in the in the late eighties, the Cold War was not a cool story as it was in like the sixties and seventies. Like that wasn't Cold War tension really wasn't a thing that people cared about like for dramatic purposes that much. It still existed, but it wasn't like the height of of all that. And it's also a musical about chess. I will honest like I have to say that yes, it's a musical about chess, and that probably has a limited appeal. But there is also a musical called Cats, and so. It does suffer that thing, right, of like seeming like a parody of a musical, right? Like when the oh, Simpsons yeah. go to New York and they look at the at the marquees on Broadway, like Chess the Musical is like one of is a writer's joke. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it also it also ends up being so such a tropey musical in a lot of ways that it's kind of easily the butt of a lot of jokes, I think, for people. Um, but it is so what is it what is it about it that like well i'll just ask because we both because i because i know her does serena have any opinions about yeah definitely we're 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 both fans though i think for different reasons when we first got together like i'm not a huge musical theater person my my knowledge of the especially when we first got together my knowledge of the catalog was pretty limited Hmm. and serena who is a trained musical theater actor like made it her project to familiarize me with these things. And she was like, what musicals do you like? And I was like, well, I like chess. And she was like, you like chess? (laughs) (laughs) That's your like basic. (laughs) You're supposed to say music man, you know what I mean? Or Mary Poppins. You're not supposed to say I like chess. Right. Yeah, it, that's... That, that she is, was like, I don't know what to would, do with that, so here's I what I say, like. I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't know where to begin. It's not even like you said hair. I was like, okay, rock musicals. All right, fine. Like, we right. can figure out, you know, we'll, we'll hear Superstar. If you like chess, and that's like the only musical you like, I don't have anything else to give you. Like, it's really like, wow, chess was like... <laughs> like in my fifth round of giving you CDs, that's when I'd give you chess. I would not, it would not be in my, like, first couple tiers. Um, yeah, that's right. You're like, well, I know you want to know more about musicals and maybe you're super into Wham. So yeah, try (laughs) chess. Well, the truth was like, I, I didn't know what I wanted out of, I didn't know what I wanted out of theater when I was in high school, except for to, to do it, you know? Mm. And so musicals were a vessel for doing it and plays were a vessel for doing it. And I didn't really, um, I didn't, I didn't discriminate so much. I wasn't really a director until towards the end of college. And it wasn't until, and, and it wasn't until I got to college that I started thinking critically about what I liked about different plays and didn't like about other plays. And especially like that program. I mean, what was great about it was that I got exposure to like all of this different, all of these different musicals and all of this different 
theater that I wouldn't necessarily have because you see students do like all kinds of stuff. Bizarre, the kind of things that actually get programmed at high schools. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I didn't have like, I just didn't have a critical eye to it at all because it was my sport. You know, uh, I, I, I wasn't mm -hmm. trying to like hone a taste because there would there there was no reason to sort of share that with folks except for to say like oh I liked that production or whatever like it really was this sort of event of going to things in high school. Um, the reason that chess came back I think is like certain elements of it really stuck out to me, especially the geopolitical stuff, which mm. you don't see um, like pursued as adventurously in other musicals. Um, sure. Or in other like or in other anything for that matter like like the what what chess attempts to do, and where I think it suffers or where people think it suffers when they're trying to like figure out how to fix it, is that it like its reach is so great in terms of the story that it wants to tell about the about the cold uh, the cold war, and about people at the center of like enormous forces, um, and I think like growing up in DC and like self-identifying as a political person, that was really, a, the, the musical attempt to encapsulate that was really appealing to me. And so it's like certain things about it sort of got stuck in my craw. Plus it was like a fun, I mean, I've always been a fan of being able to like pull, I mean, that reaction from Serena of like name dropping chess and like getting a <laughs> jaw drop is kind of my like ideal. Like I mm -hmm. love to like have I'm, I'm such a dilettante that I like my favorite thing is to have like one dumb indie pull in like every possible discipline that I can like imagine. It happens almost accidentally. And so for a while, chess was that for me. Mm -hmm. um, and when I did a deep dive on it, 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 it rewarded me for that deep dive. And that was, I think, the thing that like gave it the longevity that brings us here today. So what this is, this is interesting because I think that I have my opinions about what chess does well and what it doesn't do well and where I think it kind of you know, drowns under its own weight almost. But I'm interested to know, especially because like I came at this show purely from the, the Broadway cast album and then acquiring the, the London recording and then making a mixtape of those two to sort of like put together a, a full version of the show on one big 90 minute cassette. And then that amalgam is sort of what I experienced, but I've never seen it. I've never actually seen it staged. And I've seen the concert video. I've seen other things. It, it is so, so constantly being rewritten. And I'm, but I, I, I agree with you that I think like one of the fun things about it is the fact that there is no, nobody's seen the same version of chess twice. Like it's never really been staged the same way <laughs> twice. The same script hasn't been used twice. And it's most like musicals, Dallas. I say, right, most musicals, you can't ever step in the same chest twice. Most, uh, most musicals, <laughs> I feel like most shows, most movies, when people are, keep trying to rewrite them or re-edit them or rework them, it's a mistake because like eventually you've gone past the definitive version. You know, like you've missed it. You saw, at some point it was the good version and you swung way, way past it. Um, or it was fine and you're messing with it for no reason. But with chess, I don't know that there is a perfect version except the version you're seeing kind of right now. So I guess I'm most interested in what do you think, we'll take it as two steps. What, do, what does the show do well? And then where does it just completely fall apart? Because it does, I think every fan of chess will agree. There, there's a point where the show just completely falls apart. And absolutely, your love of that show is kind of predicated on the fact that you, you don't mind that the show is completely falling apart because it's so wonderful. Absolutely. It's so crazy. So what do you think it does well? Absolutely. I mean, I think most of the music is flawless. Not yeah. flawless, obviously not flawless. It's really but good, I think though. most of the music is so infectious really to make yeah. it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Most of the music is so infectious that it makes so like like flaws in storytelling super forgivable. Um, and so it's really at the point where the storytelling goes completely out the window that you like lose your patience with it. But I think that that's the saving grace. And I also think that it does construct, I think in that music, it, can, it, it builds motifs that feel really evocative of the sort of like fun house mirror version of the um, like political landscape that it's setting itself in. Mm. And I really, I really personally like marinating in that. Like, I think, I, I think that that's the thing that saves me towards the end. Um, once you lose track of like what story this play was ever trying to tell, uh, like you're still sitting in something that is happening on like three levels, right? It's happening on the like interpersonal level of like the, like soap, the soap opera of like what these people are going to do about the fact that they need each other. Mm. And it's sitting on the like political level of like, what are these people going to do in the, not political, but let's, let's say, let's say social level of like, what are these people going to do um, about the fact that they owe things to each other and they are stuck in a like trap that they can't like work their way out of. And then it's also trying to function on the geopolitical level where it's like, what are these people going to do like as a result of them being like victims or subjects of their time and place. And that third thing which is I think one of the most exciting things about any like story to me is, is the thing that stays consistent the whole way through. And the, the reason that like I would be eager to work on chess is, is, is that the like all of the like erraticisms and like melodramas of the play feel like they make sense to me under the umbrella of like these people are like are the, the funnels of a tremendous amount of of like of 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 cultural and political forces in the same way that we all are but like mm -hmm. we see it in them because they're sitting there at the um at the like point of it uh that's what i think that it does well in terms of storytelling is is making sure that like at all times even incidentally i think that like its characters are vessels for the for its time and, and it place. is it what you just you just uh, connected something for me that i hadn't thought of before which is the fact that like one of the things the broadway production does better to me than the London production is that is the the with with adding the element of Florence's father and the Soviet capture of Budapest is this idea of like she was the victim of being stuck in a specific time and place and to the whims of the geopolitical forces that surrounded her and at the end it's the same thing again she is stuck with a guy and he's from Russia and she's from America and like the, never the twain shall meet. And there's real tragedy in that because she's stuck in circumstances beyond her control. And exactly. It is, that is a really clever, intelligent theme that this musical almost addresses. The one thing that has never, we'll kind of bounce back and forth. One thing that's never really worked for me in this show is the love triangle. Mm-hmm it's always the part that has felt the least, I don't know if it's the least well thought out or the least ingenuous, but I never really buy Freddie and Florence as a couple. Um, and it wasn't really until I like read the booklet that I was like, oh, they're a couple. Like that's totally weird. I, I, Freddie seems to me as a Bobby Fisher analog, much more interesting is just this sort of like manic, crazy person who doesn't think about, sex which is kind of what he talks about in one night in bangkok is like i don't 
care about any of this. Like, this isn't my thing. I care about chess and winning chess. And that's all I care about. And so creating that triangle doesn't really flow for me personally. Yeah. Even when you just said it, I was like, do you mean the triangle between Anatoly, Svetlana and Florence? Right. As opposed to like the one between... Even though it occupies such a like small like part of the runtime, it it's a much more compelling. And even that mm-hmm. one, I'm like, I care only in as much as it tells me. Ultimately, I care only in as much as it tells me about Anatoly's priorities and where they're. Up. Yeah, the character of Freddy is really tricky because I think that that's how they tried to lend him because they were like. So to me, the, listening to the original Broadway is like so much trying to yeah figure out what it was that they were uh, trying to fix like what they identified as the problems or like the changes that that were necessary. And so you're just sort of like doing this like excavation of like what their, of of what their discussions were about like why any of these changes needed to be be made in the first place. And you can tell like they love everything that Freddie brings musically and they love the like, like the vim of his character. And then they don't feel like he's tied into what they want to be the central question, which is the romance between Anatoly and Florence. And so they like stitch him in, but it doesn't match at all. And 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 honestly, like it's the the reason if if this is the time to talk about it, the reason that I don't like Pity the Child is because by that time we've stopped caring about Freddie, in my opinion. Mm. Like I, like I, like for some reason we have this little interruption. He he stops being meaningful, and then he like asks for so much pathos mm-hmm. in in a way which like inside of the song is like really lovely, but inside of the moment feels like a weird, like breakthrough on what's happening. Um, and isn't seated other places that like, oh, you like underwent trauma. It feels cheap to me. The idea mm. of like, oh, you went, un- you underwent trauma in your childhood. And so like, we've been watching you be an asshole, a weird little asshole for like duration of this show. And now we're going to get to find out why long after it's mattered what you do. When I was 12, my father moved out. Left with a whimper, not with a shout. I didn't miss him, he made it perfectly clear. I was a fool and probably queer. Fool that I was, I thought this would bring. Cause he had left closer together. She made her move the What you do now is is ancillary to what Florence and Anatoly do about their love. And like your actions have minor consequences, but they fit perfectly well with just like your your own normal mania without having to invoke your psychological profile. You know? I mean, it is also the problem of like if you're gonna write a sh- if you're gonna write a show about chess in the eighties, like a contemporary show, you have to talk about Bobby Fischer and the and because he's the most famous chess player it's certainly in america he's the most famous chess player in history and yeah so you you have to have the bobby fisher character which he is 
But I mean, Fisher was so much more, uh, you know, unstable than Freddie is. And so much, it had legitimate mental health issues. You know, he wasn't like, I don't know what his, his upbringing was like. I do know that he had legitimate issues for, the, for his entire life. And was probably schizophrenic. And Freddie is not that. Freddie's just a damaged, spoiled kid, basically. And because if you don't, that's the problem also, though, with Freddie being a supporting character, really, even though he's supposed to be one of the three main, the three leads, and is the star part. It's the one you give to Rallis Brazza or you give it to, you know, Adam Pascal. That's who you give the American to. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't really contribute a whole lot, especially because he has such a huge act two problem beyond pity the child. And we can go back and forth. I mean, I I agree with what you're saying about pity the child from where it sits. I just think it, it is one of those songs in a musical where it it is, it's so good. I don't care that it's not earned in such a way, you know, like in the moment, it's such a good song. You're probably objectively right. Like it's probably doesn't belong there. It probably is. It's kind of a mess. Well, I have a really good story about it actually, which is, which is, which maybe contribute to why I feel like it's so obvious that it sucks, Um, (laughs) which is like long before I ever saw an Evo Van Hove production on Broadway or like the Wooster group at Stonebridge high school, this, this song was performed, was live streamed from a camera being rolled around on stage onto a projection on stage. Oh my. Like, and the song was performed as a broadcast like at the end of a scene. I don't really even remember what the book was that like led up to this or if this is canonical, but that was the whole, but that was the concept of the moment. And it was so, it was so um, like, uh, not inartful, that's ungenerous because it was a, it was a big, it was, it took a big swing and it missed. Well, it feels like putting big. a hat on a hat a little it, bit it, because it, it's that, Exactly. It's the, the thing of the, one of the things that makes Pity the Child good for me is the fact that you've had this bombastic rocks. All of his songs up to that point have been that great 80s synths and, and guitar sounds. And Pity the Child is a very typical musical theater song. You know, it's six minutes long. It has very traditional scoring, even though it's got some like heavy 80s drums on it. It is a very traditional Broadway song. And it really feels like it's also slower than any of his other songs. Like it feels less Mm -hmm. flashy. It feels very, it feels honest. It feels like the only time we really know what Freddie's thinking and he's not trying to manipulate somebody. And so to add quote unquote, interesting staging on top of that, to distance the audience from it at all with the use of a, like a TV screen just feels wrong. It feels like you're, you're overstaging a number that is like, should be, Understand, right? There's this energy there. of like, look yeah. at this, like how penetrating, like how yes. fascinating this thing that we're like, pri- like privileged to see, and it's like, no, I, I know, I know, <laughs> I get it. I've been watching the, like, I've been watching the show for two and a half hours. I get we it. Picked it's, up. Yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't that wild? It's pretty wild. It is like, as I understand that scene, it is in the middle of a press conference. Totally, and but then to do like a three minute sequence of like, and like it, it also kind of strained credulity in a way that I never thought a musical could. You know, <laughs> that it would just be one long. Even for a musical gang, this is no, too far. No, 
yeah we've 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 the the the, the shot has gone on too long any editor <laughs> any director worth of salt would have cut to something cut else it by now yeah i just looked it up it's only five minutes long i don't know why i think this song is seven minutes long <laughs> it's only five minutes because long. you know because you secretly agree with me that it is indulgent yeah it is indulgent you know actually that's a great word for it actually it but it's the whole like the entire second act of this show is indulgent it it, mm. it is a like it's almost a perfect one act musical even though it doesn't give you any of that stuff we were just talking about with the interesting geopolitical forces engaged in a, in a private life parallels that we were just talking about act one ending with anthem and ending with the russian defecting and him and florence are together is such a rousing moment and also having won, like he's, he's supposed to have won the chess match and then in the London version, Freddie's been defeated. So like what Freddie's doing in act two has never really been clear to me, but <laughs> in act two, it's the second half of the chess match and it's in a different city. And that isn't really how that works. Like it all just, the second act feels so muddled to me purely on plot terms yep. that it starts to really get, kind of lost also the the i think we can all agree that the broadway production um made a terrible mistake by moving one night in bangkok to the middle of act one uh where it is like most the most clear act two opener i've ever heard like in my entire life a thousand Uh, percent yeah it's just such a silly thing to do i i kind of get why they did it but it is just like it, it it's it's not not a good idea guys I, I have three there's lots of good things to recommend the original broadway recording mm-hmm. judy coon being like yes. primary among yes, them. the queen long may she ran but uh i it commits to me like three major musical sins Ooh, one me. of which is that mm-hmm. um one of which is cutting the arbiter song which sort of right well that's just a recording cut that's not it's just the recording. That's cut? just the recording cut. The production ah, okay. had a, um, uh, which you can watch on YouTube, by the way, you can watch the closing night of the original Broadway production of chess on YouTube. And I do not advocate <laughs> um, bootlegging, but um, is that the one where the title of it is checkers? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> one of them has like very artfully hidden. hidden one version hidden of chess the... has hidden it under. It's like checkers part eight. Checkers part nine. Oh, that's funny. No, there's a, it's oh, a no. straight video. I think it's called Chess Closing Night. Um, they're daring you to come out and, and, and take them away. They, they, the, Arbiter, the Arbiter song is, is kind of chopped up and moved into different segments in the Broadway production. It's not the wonderful opening ceremony, like ostentatious thing that it is in the London production. I have a duty as the referee at the start of the match. Half of all our sponsors, I must welcome you, which I do. There's a catch. I don't care if you're a champion. No one messes with me. I am ruthless in upholding what I know is right, black or white, as you see. Which it then has become again. Like if you see this, that that full 
everyone has recognized since that you absolutely want this big, absurd, nonsense rock number in the middle. <laughs> it's well across the board. They keep they kept on cutting all the bits, you know, or mm-hmm. think, whether from the recording or from the show, like or like trying to integrate them more successfully. But like, it's a very corny play, and the and the um in in a in a great way like in a in a very like synth rock way and 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 i think what like in cutting those bits or like the um the like what is it the the ba, 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 the diplomats the yeah the, the embassy customs, song the embassy uh, lament yeah yeah oh my dear how boring he's defecting just like all the others he's expecting us to be impressed with what he's done here but he has us stop to think about the paperwork his gesture causes we've an embassy to run here if these people come strike blows for freedom with a valid visa we don't need them if you seem offhand then please remember this is nothing very special he's the fourth with has his last november who do these foreign champions think they are hysterical i love the embassy embassy lament in the uh, in the like concert version and and when you get rid of it you get rid of the fun that they're having and so the self-seriousness doesn't sort of have any or the self-seriousness like it's mixed up in the fun in the way that it is with like one night in bangkok and you're not totally you're not totally convinced of how they want you to experience it um whereas the arbiter like lays it down you're like got it this mm-hmm. is this is this is camp there is there is yeah. there is a note of camp that they're always going to be ready to strike when you need it yes yeah it really feels like they didn't it's so funny that the show was a hit in London and they decided to change it. If the show had been a flop in London and they yeah. decided to change it, I at least get the motivation. But it really is weird to me that somebody, I mean, it's Abba, it's Tim Rice, and it's Trevor Nunn, and still they redid the show for New York and disastrously, I mean, disastrously <laughs> redid the show. And it, it's such a, like, it, it, because it isn't a typical musical. For all of like the comments I made earlier about it being a capital M musical, it is. But it is not Oklahoma. It's not even Les yeah. Mis. It is this other, it has much more in common with the sort of like Jekyll and Hyde than it does and Scarlet <laughs> Pimpernel. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I've said a lot of bad things about Frank Wildhorn on the show, and I will continue to do that. But it is, <laughs> there is a earnest... And actually, it's Casey Aaron Clark said it best the, uh, a couple episodes ago when she defined it as, you know, uh, corsets and contemporary scores. It's this, like, even though it's set in the time period in which it's written, it is a very, like, earnest, operatic, you know, emotions are big, melodrama. And if you try to yeah. take that down to music comedy terms and put in book scenes and, like, try to link the book scenes with the songs, it, it ends up just kind of the, all the, that heightened emotion gets undercut by the book scenes, it seems to me, which was my experience watching the video. It was just like, every time they started talking, I was like, no, shut up. Just keep singing. What are you talking for? People are, people are crazy. I agree. I also think that the orientation of how they wrote those book scenes was maybe off. Like, I've always mm-hmm. had a, I've always had a, like, suspicion that the play wants to try, that they, that they couldn't let go of the idea that Anatoly was also the lead. And mm-hmm. that like, he, and, and that if you, because he has fantastic songs and because he like maybe literally travels the most. But I think that if the musical embraced, like aggressively embraced, like Flor- that the, the story is Florence's story and that the sort of like, and, and, and enjoyed the thing that it sets out to do, which is to set, which is to say like, she's alienated, like the, like established the Budapest thing, like mm-hmm. more, 
more thoroughly and like have that be the sort of full through line of the thing and have and and let the crux of it be like how is she dealing with these forces as opposed to how are people around her like like navigating her journey through those forces or like their love for her or all those things right like I mean it barely if at all passes the Bechtel test but if you just gave Florence a little bit more um if if you just asked yourself what's going on with Florence now, like like what is the thing that she's contending with here and here and here and here, like you'd let her be the center and the heart of the play in the way that she like I think sort of in in folks' memories anyways and in, in like listening to it she is then I I think you probably have I think that's a better um, north star for trying to write a book to this musical, uh, like you have someone with no country right who is on a journey to find on a on on in the most fraught time in like in terms of like international relations like in the 20th century trying to find a home in people in profession in um and 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 in like nation and fails to you know but like but but well but she's let down it's just, it's not even that she's i mean she's she's the tragedy of, of florence is that she's just continuously let down she yeah. makes plays for family and plays for people and and tries and the nation state the inexorable geopolitical forces that play around her always 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 um let her down and they like continuously uh and they will continue to let her down and and i like there's no and there's no answer for that i mean that's the sort of the, the feeling you're left with at the end for me is that of the feeling of like the tragedy is, is that some people were born in the wrong year in the wrong place. Like that's just, and that's just the truth of the matter. I mean, my wife and I have recently been talking about the fact that we wonder if 1980 was the worst year to be born in ever. We'll find out in like in 20 more years when people do the math on that. Um, <laughs> but, but there is a certain sense of, of, of like, of just victim of circumstance that Florence has. And I don't mean that in a kind of, you know, helpless maiden in the tower way. I mean, in a real right. active, tragic, true way. Because I think what you said is true. Anatoly is objectively, from a structural standpoint, the lead of the show. He has the I Want song. He closes Act One, and his decision ends the show in Endgame. It's always whichever whichever version it is, whether he wins or he loses, and it's so great that there's both versions exist. And I would really <laughs> love to do a production of chess where each night it was different. You didn't know which one you were going to see. And actually, you know, like just, we, we obviously have to choose beforehand, but like <laughs> you could have both endings available because they were both written. So you could, you could do them both. Um, <laughs> but it, it is, so Anatoly is objectively the, the, the protagonist, but he is, his struggles are very, very basic. You know, he's really good at chess and he doesn't love his wife cool cool story bro like <laughs> it yeah, actually absolutely. feels like knowing what i know it doesn't live up to the rest of the story not yeah and it feels like knowing what i know we're actually what we're watching is the tim rice story because like <laughs> yeah what i know about tim Rice. well for, i don't know much about tim rice i do know that we have elaine page to thank for the fact that florence is a character at all because tim rice and elaine page were having a torrid affair during the production <laughs> of the show and thank you, Elaine Page. For thank you, Elaine Page. The she's the best. She's she's the best, and she's an overlooked Evita, and we should love Elaine Page forever. Truth, she's great. So, yes, I, I, but I do feel like like the 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 Russian has this sort of like poor me kind of thing about him yeah. that ultimately that Florence never has. Florence is never self like 
So, you know, Heaven Help My Heart is a little on that edge, but it is never goes to the full tilt of like, meh, I don't get everything. Because where I want to be is right. basically like, meh, I don't get everything I want, you know. If it were love, I should give that love every second I have. And I do. Did I know where he'd lead me to? But she earns heaven help my heart, and it's uh, she earns it by dint of. And I think that this is the like order, at least in the, in the original, this is the order. Maybe it's moved up earlier in the Broadway recording. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that she earns heaven help my heart by way of nobody's side. In fact, I know that she mm-hmm. does, obviously, because plot wise, that's how it happens. I see my present partner in the imperfect tense, and I don't see how we can last. I feel I need a change of cast. Maybe I'm on nobody's side. And when he gives me reasons to justify each move, they're getting harder to believe. I know this can't continue. I still a lot to prove. There must be more I could achieve But I don't have the nerve to leave Everybody's playing the game But nobody's rules are the same Nobody's on nobody's side But like nobody's side establishes that like Heaven Help My Heart is like is that she's like being hit by waves of things that she like was was not prepared for because she has like written a story about her ferocity right mm-hmm. and about like and about the like need for independence and like the game of writing that story for yourself is asserting that you that 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 it's the only way to live and that you like have to live this way and you're prepared to live this way and blah, 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 blah. and so heaven help my heart as sort of a like poor me thing is like not a not to me so much of like oh my heart hurts so much as much as like how did i like what happened like where yeah. like like i'm 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 i've been disoriented in a way that i like never expected to because i've worked so hard to construct a version of myself that i trust you know and well that, and it's, like, it is also what the thing i like about heaven help my heart is that it's a moment you don't often see in in any love story which is the moment where the character kind of like they've they've had the affair, they've run away, they've done the brave thing. And now what do I do? It is this yeah. real like facing the consequences of the choice you've made in this moment and being like, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I should do this, uh, but I did it. So here we are. And it's just such a nice, like, quiet. And it is, like, but it's not a good opening of Act Two, which is what it is in the Broadway production, unfortunately. (laughs) 
is no, I mean, it doesn't quite it's, have the energy you're looking no, for. No, it's um it's very yeah, lullaby-ish. It, it doesn't really do the trick. No, it doesn't at all. Well, actually, because so the act two of the Broadway production does actually open with the Arbiter's song, a sort of um, abbreviated version of it, but it feels very, again, it's in the wrong place. That's not an act two opener. What really like cracks me up is how many like own goals this thing has, like in in mm-hmm. a as a as a production, because it's like it made mistakes that nobody was forcing it to make. It re mm-hmm. it reworked mm-hmm. itself and by from very smart theater people made some very critical errors <laughs> and do you have a like do you have a personal opinion about like how i'd fix chess it changes it changes on because you just illuminated for me the big thing of, like that i hadn't really thought about that florence isn't the main character and she should be so like if florence should be the main character then there's some serious moves you need because she needs more more active stuff to do in act one and early in act one um and she she needs to to push a little bit harder. I mean, I, I think that what was funny was um, I was recently having a conversation with somebody about the song I Know Him So Well and how much they hated it. Uh, <laughs> and it was, I'll say hi to Carrie. Carrie knows I'm talking about her. And um, <laughs> she, she really doesn't like that song. And I, I, I was sort of thinking about like, as you mentioned, the Bechtel test, that song not only fails the Bechtel test, it kind of is the opposite of the Bechtel test. Like the whole point. It is is a case study. (laughs) But when Jason was on the podcast and I stand by that episode too, he and I talked a lot about how much we liked that song because what he liked about it, I believe I'm paraphrasing. Maybe I'll just say what I liked about it too, is how it is the, there's this, this, this expression of a kind of love that you know you will not get anything out of and it doesn't matter it's like it's this very helpless like it's stupid i should not love this guy he's this because this relationship is bananas but i love him so what do you want to do about it? like what can you do about it and it is a really interesting mm-hmm. it's not how you expect that kind of scene to go between the wife and the mistress right. it's not gonna be a like He's pretty, he's pretty weird, right? Yeah, God, I love that guy. He's pretty cool. Uh. Um, so, <laughs> again, we may be listening to some Tim Rice fan fiction about himself where he's hoping like, oh, when my mistress and my wife find out about each other, everyone's going to be so thrilled. <laughs> they'll, all, they'll all agree that Superstar was a really good show. That's, that's <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but no, but it doesn't usually work out that way, but it is. I, and I, and I agree with you guys to like, to a point, right? Like mm-hmm. it is, I mean, it's inarguably a beautiful song. And I think that one of the reasons for that is because the yearning is so, um, recognizable and there mm-hmm. is something very interesting about like turning and the lyrics are really good a duet, but the yeah. thing that makes it interesting and the lyrics are really good. Looking back, I
But the thing that makes it interesting, which is like in that like duetishness, is also the thing that makes it sort of like alienating, which is like this feels so there are other things to deal with here other than how much you both love this guy mm -hmm. like the independent of one another i'm very interested in how much you both love this guy mm -hmm. but they don't even connect on the particular qualities they just connect they just connect on the profundity of the love mm -hmm. you know we, I, I, that's not a note but it is it is to say it is to say it, it, it also suffers from like chess plays with indulgence man like oh yeah out it's like every every time it's it it has a song longer than a minute and a half probably it's like am i going too far am i going too far and so when it misses you're like Ugh. like you like you, you get a little stomach ache off of it and i can totally sympathize with people who get a stomach ache off of um uh uh i know him so well and i can certainly sympathize with people who get a stomach ache off of you and i but i will never agree with them like yes you know you and i is interesting you because it is almost it the word i was about to use is redundant i don't know if that's the right <laughs> word but it it's a sort of i like that because they literally double each other's melodies they do and they well but it's it, it also it depends on again which version you're listening because because the placement of it is different depending on the version right um but it is a real like it's a nice love song, and it actually is much more effective at the, in, as a finale, like okay. than it is in its initial. The reprise much the better. Yeah, yeah, it's much yeah, better yeah. because it is that thing of like the the it, it's one of the few moments where the show dips into saccharine for me, and it feels like, and then this is in any version. This is not just the Broadway version where it feels like they said, "Well, we got to have a love song." Like the the lovers have to have a love song. And I really do want to say it is redundant because I do want to say, guys, that's what the terrorist duet was. You don't need <laughs> you and I you got the terrorist duet. You don't need the other one. Like it's gang. <laughs> We're running four hours. Something needs to go. <laughs> isn't even the hit record that was uh, one night in bangkok so you know mm. settle down but it 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 does really it, it really most of my problems with the show <laughs> end up in act two because they really have this like it really feels like they don't know where they're going in this actually no let me take that back they know exactly where they're going they don't know how to get there they have to get mm. to that final chess Will he or won't he throw the match? They know, they have the ending. And every writer knows that that is a very dangerous thing when you know exactly where you want to end up. Not kind of where you want to end up, but like exactly the scene you want to create. Because then you are trying to finagle all this stuff towards this specific moment. And no, I'm not talking about the last season of Game of Thrones, that I kind of am. But... <laughs> it, it, it's just very hard to write to a specific moment in a limited period of time. You know, the closer you get to that moment, the more specific people's actions have to be to get you into that position. And it's why I think 
it's something that only really sports movies can do well because eventually everyone's got to get on the field. That's the whole point. So like we can, we can, uh, we can conspire the, the ending in such a way of a sports movie because eventually they're all going to get on the field. We don't need to have a reason for it. And this isn't a sports musical like chess, whether you call it a sport or not, like these Players two guys would to, argue with you. They would, yeah. but you just have to sit down at a table, you know, <laughs> like it's just, and they do have an end game, like some tension <laughs> about whether he's going to do that or not, which but I really going to like. show up, but I don't like it. I think of course he's going to show up. Did you make it clear that he has to be here? Does he understand? I'm so so I'm such a like that's that's the third one to me is how they mm. twist how they how they ruin endgame. Not really. Ruin, it's not ruined, but how they how they water it down. I like. I think that the balls to the wall, ten minute, three three part end game that completely loses the thread of the play, <laughs> is maybe my favorite part of the musical because it is because it goes right. It goes to that point where it's like, are we doing too much? And then it goes way past that, and then it hits the point. Is like, are we just gonna like come around the whole world and end up like? Like, like, are we just going to take a long trip and see if, like, they, like, follow us there? And I love that. I love, it's, it's, it's so satisfying. It, it feels like reminding me of all those things, like, the, the stacks of action. But that's a sidebar. Because I, because, and instead they're like, oh, is he going to show? He's not going to show any, like, they bring it back to the characters. And I'm like, that's very intelligent dramaturgy that doesn't fit this, like, Totally right, messy because the show and... defies dramaturgy in a lot of ways. It is I it, so it, agree. It is purely at its best an emotional experience, which is something you can only get really from a musical. I mean, there obviously you can get that from plays and things too, but like it, it's almost like a film without dialogue. It is one of those things where it's just like we're just going to show you images, and you're eventually going to have an emotional reaction. And that's kind of how I feel about chess: is that it is it is a series of songs and reprises and motifs and characters belting at the top of their lungs about very hard emotions. And at the end, when you mix them all together, you have a response. And if you don't do it just right at the end, which is to say too much, like you have to put in too much because at this point, what have you got to lose? Like, why are you going by half measures now, man? Like we're here do it. Do the thing. Have the courage. That's of your so convictions. spot on that the second act is not helped by restraint at all, and that that I and and that that's what compromise. And think of who they hired to write the the book. Richard Nelson, the the like king of restraint, right? Like, uh, so of course, if that if that's the person who you're like going to workshop your story with, you're never going to get the like the climax that you're the like multiple climax that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And and I think that the reason that it works when it flails or like it can work despite or slash because of its flailing is because that's what resonates for me about the like, about the sort of like center of the moment thing, right? The center, like the center of the storm thing. I buy that all these characters are like, are, are, are messy and unpredictable and like, and flailing about their moral decisions um, because, because they are like in the middle of a, of a, of a hurricane. 
um, that they're not even like, like, like a hurricane even bigger than the one that they're aware of. And they've been living inside of a hurricane for longer than they're aware of. And so they're like, their, their sense of like, of, of, um, of moderate is, is totally out the, out the window. Like to me, this is the like autorish version, like, like is like, is like physical collisions with each other, you know, like it mm-hmm. is, it is like extraordinarily, uh, extraordinarily physically messy just like because they are because it's the kind of desperation that's I think available by the end or that should be available by the end of act two yeah it's operatic it totally is and it achieves you and I for that reason in the reprise because then that 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 thing of the sort of post of it you know the sort of like the 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 post-coital isn't quite right but the but the but but the post-destruction i guess the thing of like well now now all that's left is the is is the undeniable fact that caused this like in our love and it doesn't mean that we now get a happy ending but it does mean that we are like forever imprinted by it and that like in the moment you're reflecting on that that's like it it's comparable you know it the the like when some when you when you can really understand something or somebody as a monument in your life um you perceive it and especially if you're allowed the 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 pleasure of perceiving it with that other person and then like trying to let it go or something i don't know all of that re- resonates really emotionally with me well because it, it there is also in that song the sense of inevitability i mean they sing about yeah. how that you know we've been down this road before yet we go on believing stories like ours have happy endings it is just like in i know him so well and just like in a lot of the other songs there's this in heaven help my heart nobody sighed there's this sense of just uh, like we said at the beginning there are forces outside of our control dictating our story and we have to act like they're not because otherwise what's the point you know like what is the thing and in that way hang on let him land this plane they're like chess figures they are being (laughs) manipulated (laughs) on a board by forces they cannot see or control and they move and they're pushed places and they're put in position and they can only move certain ways and this is a really good musical i'm just want to like say that like this is a really good musical but the problem is you have to look for it you have to go hunting for it you have to sit i know You got to sit and talk for an hour about not how great it is before you figure out how great not it is. Not at all. And it, it only fails to me. I know. <laughs> it only fails to me on artistic levels when you try to make it something that it isn't. And what it isn't is a typical musical. There's nothing in the world like it. Yeah. Like it is just, it's this weird, wild thing. <laughs> but actually what's funny is it is also has occurred to me as we've been talking that like the real love triangle in the show isn't between Florence and Anatoly and Freddie. It's between Florence and Anatoly and Chess. I mean, mm. his, his love of his own, it's really his love of himself ultimately, but like ostensibly it's his love about, of the game and his ability to play the game. And his love of it is more intellectual and pure probably than Freddie's. It's kind of funny to think that they created a character who like gets off on how good he is at chess and like outsmarting people. And like, that's such a weird nerdy thing. Um, <laughs> whereas Anatoly, yeah, he's like this like sex object. Like, did you I see thought- the, like the, the, I, 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 so I went hunting through Google to find somebody's bootleg of the Raul Esparza one and like his sort of like gloriously bisexual. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have thoughts. Um, I didn't see it. <laughs> I have, I've seen videos. I've seen things. I have thoughts, but. Sway big. 
again, it's a big swing. I think it's swinging in the wrong. It's like squaring up and facing the umpire in in a little ways, but like you're swinging in the <laughs> wrong direction, maybe. But you know, it is a big swing. You might hit the ball by accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but yes, I think there <laughs> there are big swings, and then there are big swings, and that's a big swing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because again, I think Freddie is is asexual. I think that's what makes Freddie interesting. Anyway, yeah, the, I I mean I tend to agree with you, mm-hmm. but then on the on the other side you have Anatoly and like and mm-hmm. and his like his 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 uh, obsession with like both chess and his own greatness to me is like it feels obvious that that obsession was like stoked by. Or, or, or at least like was helped al- in the same way that like Freddie's is sort of like helped along by the sort of fundamental like individualism of like rising above your circumstances. Like Anatoly's is like stoked by the like the desire to like be the um, the the face, right? To like be to like to like fully accomplish the thing and to be the sort of mm-hmm. like national like not even the, to be the national hero, but like to uh, to accomplish the national thing, which is to say to like to 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 summit the peak in a way that like nobody else ever can, like to like to to define the peak by way of his like grand like grandness. Well, it's also why his winning makes the most sense because if while it is obvious that like he's in love with a girl if he throws the match the girl will be happy like the the like that is the more sort of straightforward tragic thing where he sacrifices himself for the woman he loves in where i want to be he defines himself as somebody who has been chasing this dream for his entire life and he's achieved it and he finds it unsatisfying and he does actually want to have love in his life and then he goes through the tragedy of getting what he wants and discovering that it's not like it also is in ways unsatisfying and so what's interesting to me in Endgame is a character who is faced with a choice between being the best at the thing he's been working for all his life or actually giving up to love and what he decides is no like i've worked this hard to get this far i'm going to win the match i can't give that up now that is tragic the fact that he cannot take that step and that's why i think it's so wonderful and why it's so frustrating that they cut a like four minute sequence of just singing the names of the global like world the world chess champions of of history mm-hmm. with nothing else going on <laughs> because by the time you get to that decision all of a sudden you've made out of what is frankly a hobby like yes. a kind of <laughs> a, a kind of like olympian event that like and and you're like how I, it doesn't shock me at all that he makes that tragic choice because the full weight of the history is on his shoulders. How straightforward the game when one has trust in one's player and how great the relief working for one who believes in loyalty Heritage true to his kind, come what may. I loved that track so much that I, at one point, I had all of those guys memorized, and I could tell you them wow. to you in order with the with the dates. And now all I can remember is Jose Capablanca because it's so <laughs> percussive of a name. <laughs> That's a good name. That is a good name. Ah. Uh, Man, well, uh, yeah, because it's really what's so funny about this show and what's so great about it to me is 
the way that it has come not full circle but it has grown with me as i've grown and it it continues to offer new and interesting and funny things and i think interestingly one of the reasons it offers new and funny and interesting things is the fact that there is no definitive version of it that it it at this point in my life I like this, like these songs and this sequence, and I like the, the London ending. And when I was first discovered the show when I was a teenager, I liked the American version through and through with a couple of the fun songs from the London version tossed in because they were fun. And it can morph. You can really, you know, it's a choose-your-own-adventure kind of musical in, in a lot of ways um, because no two versions have been the same. And I think that is actually one of its strengths. And I really wish, I don't know how the right systems work, but I really wish they would just throw you all the material and say, figure it out. Like whatever you want to do is no big deal. <laughs> Jake, thank you so much. This was lovely. This was so much fun. This was to talk about such this. a, such a, such a pleasure. Where truly. can people find you on the internets to learn about what you're doing? Most places. So website is best place, probably www.jake-beck.com. That's B E C K. Um, but nothing's going on right now. So maybe the safer place would be my Instagram, oh. uh, which you can find at Jake Beck nation. Cause it's more likely if I've got little one-off things like the way that we're making right now, um, zoom theater and that I'm probably posting about it there more than anywhere else. Right. Um, that's at Jake Beck nation, which is exactly what it sounds like. Someone else's lifetime Someone with my name Who looked a lot like me Came to know A man and made a promise He only had to say And that's where she would be Lately run just as deep the promise she made has grown impossible to keep and yet I wish it wasn't so will he miss me The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Jake Beckhardt for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. And-